This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of Press One for Nick. Your host, Nick Limsdahl, is the Director of Contact Center Solutions at VDS. Through conversations with customer service and customer experience leaders, Nick and his guests exchange insightful stories, best practices, and invaluable lessons they have learned along the way. Hello, everyone. My name is Nick Glimsdahl, and I want to welcome you to the Press One for Nick podcast. My guest this week is Derek Gaunt. Derek is a lecturer, author of Ego, Authority, and Failure, which we're going to talk about here in a bit, and trainer for uh, with 29 years of law enforcement experience, and 20 of which as a team member and leader and then commander of the host hostage negotiations team in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. He is a hostage negotiation and incident command subject matter expert who frequently speaks at hostage negotiation and SWAT conferences across the country. As a member of the Black Swan Group, he is a negotiation trainer and personal coach. Derek has trained throughout the U.S. and around the world, instructing business organizations on how to apply hostage negotiation practices and principles to their world. Derek, welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. Nick, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure for me to be here. Yeah, I, I'm fired up about learning. Uh, I got the ability to learn about this book, and we'll talk about that here in a minute. But um, just finding ways and techniques of, of labeling and mirroring and all of the, the things that you've talked about. Um, um, I've always, uh, I, I went and my wife wanted to buy something, just a quick story. And, and I didn't tell you this prior, but I'm reading through this book and I'm always, I'm looking at all these little things and what you should say, what you shouldn't say. And um, my wife's like, Hey, there are these mini hockey nets uh, for sale on this app. Do you want, do you want them, you want them for 20 bucks? I was like, no, but I'll take them for 10, but say this instead. And it was, you know, would you be opposed to, and don't mean to be a jerk and uh, put that lingo in it. And the response was ridiculous, right? It was, oh, no, you're not being a jerk, and here's the things, you know, do you want me to drive it to your house? Here, I'll do it for 10 bucks. It's not a big deal, but wow, it was, she walked downstairs, and she goes, what did you do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's almost like seeing the unicorn for the first time, and you can't wait to do it again, right? Yeah, yeah, and then another one, I was telling a peer of mine, same thing, and I said, you know, say this instead, and he wrote back, you know, Tell me more about that Jedi mind trick book uh, that I, I need to put at the top of my list. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, the Jedi mind trick. Yeah, so that's uh, there's all sorts of titles right there. But you know, before we get into the book, um, I always try to find a little nugget that people might not know about uh, the guests. So, uh, what's one thing people might not know about Derek? Uh, I am a fan of classical music. Nice. Okay. So what's uh, I'm sorry? So what's your go-to, like any specific composer? Uh, 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 Johann Sebastian Bach. Rachmaninoff is always good. Uh, Wagner is just, Wagner is, was just a militant, uh, aggressive classical music artist. And, and, and anything that he writes or anything that he composed makes you want to go into battle. You know, and 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 so I, I, I Baroque music, chamber music, it doesn't really matter. Uh, and I like it because when you listen to deeper seas of all of the instruments working in one accord toward a common goal, 
um, the brilliance in that, the brilliance in being able to say the woodwinds are going to do this and the percussion is going to do that and the brass is going to do that and the strings are going to do this and it's all going to meld together to make this beautiful sounding music. It, it's, it's, it's impressive. And um, it also helps you focus. You know, that's, that's, that's a big driver for me. When I really need to, to uh, hone in on a topic, on something I'm trying to learn or a, a prezzo that I'm trying to put together, content I'm trying to, to develop, you know, you, you throw on a little uh, uh, Mozart, Vivaldi, and you're good. At least I am. So, Yeah, that's interesting. I actually ended up taking a class in college and thought I was going to be bored out of my mind as an elective and um, actually learned quite a bit and appreciated it more, similar to what you said, where it kind of clears your mind out and, and makes you stay focused on, on what the task is ahead of you. But yeah, yeah, for sure. Enough uh, now, but uh, it, it's always interesting to hear um, other people listening to it. So, you know, switching to the book, Eagle Authority Failure, um, you know, tell us a, a quick Maybe why, what made you write the book and tell us at a high level, what's it about? And then we'll kind of dig into it from there. Yeah. So first question, what made me write the book? Um, we've been talking about the importance of emotional intelligence and its relationship to leadership and running a business, running a team, running an organization for decades. And nothing ever went beyond the generic of, you know, <clears throat> don't be a jerk, create a positive environment for your for your uh, subordinates or your direct reports, um, listen. But no one has ever talked about how to do it. And that was the void that I was trying to fill with ego authority failure. And that's primarily what the book is about. It's about how do you take what we used in hostage negotiation, and that was using our interpersonal communication skills to save lives. How do you take that and apply it in the business context. Mm -hmm. And um, that's what ego authority failure does. It tells you uh, some of the pitfalls of leaders who have failed. It tells you some of their success stories and it tells you how you can better prepare yourself to be a more effective leader by using some of the interpersonal communication skills that were honed, tested and developed in the discipline of hostage negotiations. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I appreciated the stories, and, and I, we don't have time to get into the stories, and I'm going to uh, continue to recommend the book uh, to go get it yourself. Thank you, thank you. There. Um, but uh, plenty of stories that people didn't know they had those techniques um, and, and some of the things of, of around hostage negotiation and, um, you know, what you were talking about in certain situations, and I, I it, it kind of pulls you in, it makes you think, uh, which makes make me, which made me reach out to you around customer service. There's so many parallels of mm. people, uh, freaking out and uh, around customer service, and we'll we'll get into those questions in a minute. But you know, when you were a hostage negotiator, you sold jail time for a living. You you got these hostage takers to buy all the time, buy the time, and say, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna sell you 20 years. Uh, so why did they buy what you were selling? The simple answer is ultimately they wanted to live mm. and self-preservation is a powerful motivator. Now at the onset of the incident, they're not thinking as much about the alternative um, 
they're thinking about self-preservation, but they're not thinking about the alternative, i.e. coming out. Um, because emotions are high. And when emotions are high, rational thinking is low. And I cannot, I could not begin to direct their decision-making progress uh, process and ultimately their behavior until I dealt with the emotional element as they saw it. And so once I dealt with that emotional element, what happens? People become more rational. And what they didn't see as a viable option at the beginning of the event, because I've addressed the emotional aspects as they see it, I've returned them to a normal functioning level. And now they can see clearly what the other options are to make sure that they come out and they come out safe. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that, that was the way that I got them to buy the jail time was stepping to their side and say, look, Nick, I get this is the way you see things right now. You've been punched in the gut. You've been told no over and over. You're trying to pick yourself up. Every time you try to pick yourself up, you're getting pushed back down. And once I stepped to his side and, and, and explained that to him, that I get on a deep level where he's coming from, bring those emotions down, rational thinking goes up, and now, I can, now we can together start to explore options. Yeah, but, but that whole time you, you heard them, you listened to them and understood where they were coming from, asking specific questions, and then you brought on, hey, here's, what, here's some things that we can, we can talk through. Here's, here, you know, we're going to get you out alive, uh, but we have to walk through that situation. But I think the most important part of that, from my perspective, is you listened. Uh, yeah. you, you know, they, a lot of times, you know, maybe in their life, they haven't been listened to. Uh, That's exactly right. And so, um, you know, when it comes to uh, hostage negotiators, what is the typical success rate in the United States? We are upwards. We're well over 90%. Uh, the book, the, the, the stat that I quote in the book is closer to 93%. Um, and it's not because we're the smartest people on the planet. It's because we have a unique appreciation of the human nature response, which dictates that f- the, the fear, the fear of loss is the single biggest driver of human decision-making and by extension behavior. So that's what pushes that success rate so high. Um, we have, we, we've got our minds wrapped around that human nature response and we begin to deal with it from the perspective of, of the hostage taker. And as you said, it starts with listening. The, yeah. it's, the, it's the cheapest concession that you can make. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then if you kind of brought that back uh, to the professional life. So what if managers began to treat their employees with the same level of deference and thoughtfulness as negotiators do uh, to hostage takers? I mean, that's, it seems like it's, it makes total sense, but what, what happens if they would do something like that? They, they would be able to create those positive work environments that I talked about earlier. It makes your job so much easier. You, <clears throat> you are, um, you're, you're getting buy-in without forcing it because they know that you have their interest at heart. If you're doing it authentically, if, if, if it's not authentic, employees are conditioned to be hypervigilant of people who are not authentic and you're going to do yourself more damage. So if it's authentic, if you're transparent, 
And if you put their desires first, their needs first, or at least understand what your ask is going to do to them, what, how is it going to impact them, especially when it impacts them negatively? Mm. And if you take care of that before you give marching orders, before you start talking about change, before you start to share with them news that they may not want to hear, it makes the message go down so much easier. If you just step back and say, it's not about me. It's about them, the direct report, them, the employee. Yeah. So in, the, in that process, how important is EQ or emotional intelligence? Oh, it's huge. I dare say it's almost everything. You have to understand what the other side is going through. You have to understand what triggers you. You have to understand that in any difficult conversation, you're going to get attacked. You have to understand that your job when you're attacked is just to sit there and take it. Unless you're dealing with an out and out sociopath, 45 seconds to a minute is all you need to hold on. And then here's the key is that you, you need to apologize for whatever you said that offended them, made them upset. And then you need to stay in that moment to figure out, what motivated the reaction because the negative emotions never die. They never go away. And so understanding what triggers you, understanding what triggers the other side, understanding how whatever the message is that you're going to share with them is going to impact them is of critical importance. Your, and your EQ, the good news is your EQ can continue to be developed you know, well into your 80s. Your IQ, yeah, by the time you reach 13, 14, it ain't getting any better. That you are who you are. But with EQ, with work, you can continue to get better. And if you keep that in mind as a leader, um, constantly trying to better yourself, your your direct reports are going to reap the benefits. Yeah, that, that stat that was in the book was mind-blowing to me. That EQ, you can constantly learn up to the 80s. Uh, IQ, you, you kind of stop your, your, your peak at, at 14, 13, 14, whatever that uh, age group was. And, um, you know, from, from your perspective, is EQ more than important than IQ? Yes. Yes. Why? Because nobody makes, nobody makes decisions. Nobody does anything without an emotional component attached to it. And EQ, or I'm sorry, IQ is all about reasoning and logic. Well, the problem with reasoning and logic is that it's not devoid of emotion. I don't care what the decision is. There's emotions attached to it. And if you don't understand that, um, you're, you're, you're putting yourself at a, a disadvantage. Yeah. So the, the, uh, the, the title of the book is Ego, Authority, and Failure. So is ego and authority, is that, is it a bad thing? Can you have, is it, is it bad to have ego and authority? Um, no, it can be. If you don't keep it and keep both of them in check, they both feed off of each other. And there are times when your ego and authority have to be front and center. You know, the, the story in the book or the, the analogy in the book that uh, Colonel George Reed used was, you know, uh, when, when the enemy is inside the wire, 
and you're passing out your last rounds of ammunition, your ego and authority better be front and center because lives are at stake. Mm. But the problem is most leaders think the enemy is inside the wire all the time and the enemy is not inside the wire all the time. And so the ego and authority need to be tamped down. Respect them for what they are. The ego, your ego and authority is what promotes you through your organization or your agent, or at least is a contributor to what promotes you through your, your organization or your agency. So for those reasons, they're good, but left uncontrolled, left um, misunderstood is where we run into problems. Yeah, and then in the section um, uh, of listening inside the book, uh, you mentioned that people want to be understood. So listen, mm -hmm. acknowledge their point, acknowledge does not equal agreement, which I thought was awesome. Uh, they just want to be heard. So why is listening so important in, when it comes to hostage negotiation? And, and inside of that, we kind of talked about it a little bit, but what are you specifically listening for? So listening is important because I don't care who you are, whether you're crazy, criminal, crusader, entrepreneur, mother, father, son, daughter, mm -hmm. people want other people to understand their worldview, what's going on with them. It feels so good. And the problem in today's climate is that most people don't do it. So when you are the recipient of someone who is actually listening to what you're saying, you open up just like a flower. And the reason most people don't do it is by and large, we're lazy mm -hmm. because listening at that deeper level, listening to underlying motivations and dynamics, it takes work. It would be hard for you to operate at that level 24 hours a day, seven days a week, because it takes that much effort. What are you listening for? In every conversation, there is a presenting dynamic or emotion, and then there's a latent dynamic or emotion. I am listening for the latent dynamic or emotion. When you hit me with a statement, my first thought is, why did he just say that? Because there's a latent surface level, and then there's something under the surface. Mm. I'm sorry, there's a presenting and then latent, something under the surf surface. And it's much more important for me to demonstrate that I understand what that latent motivation or dynamic is because it almost turns me into a mind reader. If you say to me, I can't believe she did this to me. This is wrong. I hate her for it. This is killing me. Well, what do you hear on the surface, Nick? Frustration. Anger. Frustration. Anger. What do you hear under the surface? That he's hurt. Exactly. I never said any of those things. I never said I was frustrated. I never said I was angry. And I never said I was hurt. Intuitively, you picked up on that. And that's what listening at a deeper level means. Because once you, once you identify something that I did not say, that you picked up on, there's no clearer demonstration that you're locked in. 
Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> you kind of mentioned, um, I, I think another word when it comes to not listening um, is being selfish. Um, you know, if you don't take that time to be a hundred percent present in that conversation, mm-hmm. picking your phone up and you're looking through something, you're doing an email, mm-hmm. that's just you being selfish in that interaction. Um, it kind of goes back to, to management, like taking that time, setting that schedule. If somebody needs you, uh, be present in that moment and don't be selfish. That's right. That's right. Because most of us spend our day at one of two levels of listening. That's listening intermittently where you're listening just long enough to get the gist of what the other person is saying. And then boom, you start focusing on your own internal monologue or worse. As you said, you start doing emails or picking up your phone or, or whatever the case may be, or we spend our time rebuttal listening. Mm-hmm. Now we're listening for something that we know we can argue with. And now I'm just waiting for Nick to shut up long enough so I can jump into the conversation to tell him how dumb he is. That's where we spend most of our time. And that's, that's problematic. In a competitive market, does your customer service stand out from the crowd? One way to offer a better experience is by moving your contact center to the cloud. But with so many options to choose from, how do you know which solution is the best for both your business and your customers? That's where VDS comes in and guides you to the best solution. They understand your clients' pain points, business outcomes, and goals. Then VDS designs, implements, supports, and provides 24-7 managed services. From start to finish, VDS is committed to finding the best solutions for your clients' needs. To learn more, go to www.govds.com or find a link in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's transition quick to uh, customer service. So yeah. when it comes to our customers, any customers that call into a call center or customer service department, nobody's going to call in and say, you know, Hey Derek, I think you're doing great. You know, I, I just, you know, I love your product. I love what you guys are doing and I'm going to call your, call you tomorrow. Uh, instead, right They're they're on fire. They're, they're uh, ready to, to tear you a new one. I already, I always say like, uh, the, the joke is people are doing like push-ups and listening to Rocky music before they call a 1-800 number because they're just, they're ready for a fight. They're ready mm-hmm. for battle. Um, so how do you de-escalate the customer and talk them off the cliff and, and make it a win-win for everybody? You have to understand the negative, um, the negative opinions, assumptions, and impressions that they have about you your product and your company before they pick up the phone. Mm. They have had customer service experience before and it hasn't been pleasant. That coupled with the fact that they're calling you at the 11th hour for a reason that usually isn't good means what? Their emotion level is high. And as I mentioned earlier, when emotions are high, rational thinking is low. So they want to be heard. They want to be understood. So the first thing that any customer service representative is, is to take that initial onslaught, stay in their chair. It's going to get personal because it's a difficult conversation. Difficult conversations means negative emotions. Negative emotions means people lash out. Yeah. And then, yeah, go ahead. And then, and then being able to articulate 
your verbal observation, giving them your verbal observation of what it is that has them wrapped around the axle. Yeah, when it comes to, I think that's, that differentiates the really good customer service representatives from everybody else is, is they take that time, they, they take a beating every day, every phone call, every interaction, but they just take it, right? You said take it and hold on for 45 seconds. Yeah, um, it's, it's hard to fight back with somebody who's not fighting with you. Right, and, and, or they just say, I hear you. I, I, sometimes I'd, I'd be frustrated with you if I had that experience too. Um, acknowledge what they're saying. And like you said at, uh, at the very beginning, acknowledgement doesn't mean agreement. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm going to keep going back to that um, every time I talk to uh, a customer service uh, representative that, that has a frustration interaction or frustrating interaction. But, you know, when it comes to customer service, uh, when it comes to customers, their needs to be, they, they want to be understood. And so that we are dealing with, we, we need to understand that we're dealing with human beings. And so what is the consequence of forgetting that there's another human being on the other side of, of all of the difficult conversations? Uh, well, it becomes a thing. They become a problem to be solved. And that's what we jump into. The sooner I solve this problem, the sooner I can get off this phone, the sooner I get off of the phone, the sooner my comfort level will return. And so failing to remember that they're a human being usually leads us to jumping into problem solving way too soon. That's where most conversations go awry. We want to state what our goal and objective is at the beginning of the conversation. And we are baffled when the other side pushes back or they can't see it. And that's because We've, we've gotten the sequencing wrong. Your sequencing should always be tactical empathy first, whatever the goal and objective is last. Whatever your ask is comes last. Whatever your line in the sand is comes last. And so most of us get it backwards. And then we're, we're just baffled when, when the people can't understand. It's because we haven't taken the time to, as I mentioned earlier, demonstrate that we understand what the lay of the land looks like from their perspective. And so it starts with not viewing them as human beings. It's viewing them as a thing or a, an obstacle or a challenge or a problem. Yeah. Or even in customer service, they're a account number. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't actually see a picture of that person potentially, or a first name or last name. They, don't have a screen pop-up says, hey, it's Derek Gaunt calling. Here's his last five interactions. Here was, here's what he was frustrated with. And sometimes that is the case. But, you know, how do you – and I want to I wanna go back to the tactical empathy here in a little bit. Um, but first, you know, when you're in this difficult situation, how do you maintain composure? Um, it's a mindset before you get on the phone. It's a mindset that number one, you're going to you're going to go in being curious. Every time one of the customer service reps picks up the phone, they should say to themselves, "I have something to learn from this interaction." It's almost impossible for you to be curious and triggered at the same time. You have to do one or the other. You can either get triggered, get angry, 
rise to the level of the agitation that you're receiving on the other side, or you can stay curious. What is he trying to tell me going on with him? What is his motivation? Why did he just say that? Number two, you accept the fact it's a difficult conversation and I'm going to get blasted as soon as they pick up the phone or as soon as I answer the phone, I get blasted. You know that going in and then the 45 second to a minute rule holds true. Um, I like to have the clients that I work with vent about the upcoming difficult conversation or in your case, in the customer service world, vent about the job to people outside of the job. Somebody, a trusted confidant that can act as a sounding board. The more you vent off of the phone, the less it's likely to appear in your actual conversation. So if you keep those things in mind, as far as your mindset is concerned, you're mentally preparing yourself to stay seated. You're mentally preparing yourself not to get triggered. You're mentally prepared to fend off any attack. Mm. Yeah. So uh, going back to the tactical empathy, um, I thought that was a really, really insightful uh, way to, to talk through it. But, um, you know, for the listeners that haven't heard that um, and haven't read your book, uh, what is tactical empathy? Yeah, sure. So tactical empathy is the deliberate attempt it's a conscious effort attempt on your part to demonstrate to the other side that you get where they're coming from you get where they're feeling you get what the circumstances looks like to them you get what they think about you it's we call it tactical empathy because it's deliberate we're doing it on purpose because of its effectiveness. It's not, it's not emotional empathy. You know, the difference between tactical empathy and emotional empathy, emotional empathy is walking in their shoes, feeling what they feel. I'm not asking you to feel what they feel. I'm asking you to see through their eyes. That is the difference. Emotional empathy is a um, subjective state that's brought on by emotional contagion. I start crying, you get choked up, you start crying. That's emotional empathy. This is where you're deliberately trying to show the other side that you get where they're coming from. And the purpose for that is as you move through the interaction, you're going to force empathy back on you. That's probably one of the biggest um, effects tactical empathy the most important effect is it encourages reciprocity but because you did it first they're more likely to show it to you whenever it is that you get to your goal your objective your ask mm. yeah no i i love that um you know in in uh, a few chapters later you talk about the importance of of the two words and the two words are what and why. Uh, give us a couple examples at, at a high level, uh, the difference between what and why, and, and why that's uh, important. Uh, well, we shy away from why questions because why genuinely makes people defensive on some level, right? 
If I say, Nick, why did you wear that shirt today? Immediately, you go on the defensive because you're questioning yourself, I like this shirt. Is he saying that he doesn't like this shirt? Why is he questioning my choice in shirts? And so in every language on the planet, there is a version of the word why. And in every language on the planet, it makes people defensive. It implies that there is a right answer and you don't have it. And it's, and it's a way to initiate either consciously or subconsciously a, a superior, inferior relationship. And it, it, you don't, most of us don't do it to make the other side angry, but that's exactly what occurs. Or at least if they're not angry, they, as I mentioned, get defensive. So instead of asking what... I mean, instead of asking why, you can change any why question into a, a what question. It, and the what question, it, it, it frames the scope of the conversation, but it gives them the appearance that they have the latitude to answer how they see fit. So any, anytime you want to ask the question why, you can just flip it and say, what, what caused that? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Or in, in the example that you gave, Hey, Nick, what made you wear that shirt today? But just, just the, the words, those two words of switching it around, and maybe I'm not saying it 100% right, but just changing the what versus the why um, makes it less um, defensive. Yeah, the person who you're saying it to, you kind of diffuse the situation a little mm-hmm. bit because you're already seeing it from their eyes. That's exactly right. And the other thing is... When it comes to demonstrating tactical empathy, there's not, there's not one moment in the conversation where the light bulb is going to go off and boom, you've got rapport. We're looking for the incremental application for effect. Think of it as me handing you an ax and standing you next to a tree and you looking at me and going, well, how many swings of this ax is going to take to bring this tree down? I don't know. It depends. But it ain't going to be one. It's probably going to be multiple. So the, the tactical empathy part of this is a continual um, application of all of the black swan skills. Mm-hmm. And so with everything that we're saying, at least for the first 75 to 80% of any difficult conversation, it's not going to be about you. It's not going to be about what you want. It's going to be about the other side, their perspective, their wants, their needs, their, their desires. You know, when it comes to customer service, um, what advice would you give to a leader when they're trying to get buy-in? Well, I I think we've talked about that throughout the entire conversation, but the most important thing is to sit back and remember the mantra, it's not about me. Mm -hmm. It's not about where I want to end up. Ultimately, as a leader, are you going to have to lay out the marching orders? Yes. Are you going to have to state what your purpose, your goal, and objective is? Yes. But how quickly do you want to get the buy-in? If you want to get the buy-in quickly, you have to demonstrate for those that you lead that you get it. It's, and, and here's the, the beauty of it is it's not that hard. It's not, it's not really that hard. These, the, the way to demonstrate tactical empathy, the actual skills that are used to, to demonstrate it, 
is they're, they're very simple. You know, they were developed, the foundation of the skills were developed in the 1950s by Dr. Carl Rogers in the area of psychotherapy, stolen for use in law enforcement in the mid-1980s, and seen increased use in the business world since the mid-2000s. But the reason it was perfected and honed in law enforcement is because we kept it simple. Because that's what cops want more. They want something simple and effective and easily recalled. And so if you just take the time to say, I know this is going to cause a hardship on you for the next couple of months until we get this project done. You're probably going to think that we in the leadership position don't have our stuff together. We're disorganized. And you may even think that we're trying to impose our will. This is going to hit you like a punch in the gut. You're going to want to reach across the table and stab me in the eye with a pen. All of those things come out of my mouth before I tell them what I'm actually there to tell them. And so what have I done? I put them first and I'm the subordinate. I'm deferring to them and I'm showing respect. So that's what I would tell a leader. It's not about you. It's about them. Hmm. And why is, why is respect so important? Respect means you understand where I'm coming from. Respect means you know who I am as a human being. Respect means that um, you understand what makes me tick. And everybody wants some level of respect as a human being, regardless of what their hierarchy is within any organization. And it's like tactical empathy. Mm -hmm. Once you show it, you will get it. Showing respect is always a precursor to getting respect. You know, there, there are some leaders out there that, that say, um, you know, well, when it comes to doing things in the workplace, I'd rather be respected than liked. Mm. Why, why are the two mutually exclusive? You get more with honey than you do with vinegar. That's the bottom line. And, and one tastes better than the other. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Derek, I wrap up every podcast by asking my, my guests two questions. Yep. Uh, the first, first question is, what book or person has influenced you the most in the past year? And then the second question is, if you could leave a note to all the customer service representatives and everybody would hear it, what would it say? Uh, what, what you said, what person or book? Book or person has influenced you the most? Yeah, um, it would probably be Bob Iger, Ride of a Lifetime. Um, he was the former CEO at Disney and I love to read people's approach to leadership and, 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 uh, you know, obviously Disney is an international company and he was at the top for a while after, um, Eisner left. And I love to read books about leaders operating at that level who understand, though they never gave it a name, who understand in principle what tactical empathy was all about. And Iger 
ran Disney. He ran his life viewing the world through other people's eyes. And, and there's, a, there's a great interaction between him and Jobs in the book that just reeks of tactical empathy. Um, you know, when he was firing executives, how he managed that, how he managed um, the Pulse nightclub shooting. You know, whenever, whenever Disney is so large, whenever there's a major incident anywhere on the globe, it is likely that Disney employees have been affected. And he was constantly mindful of that. And it was just, it's just a brilliant read. He's a brilliant guy. Um, and, and, and he was always deferring to other people. So that probably was the most influential book um, because it gave me hope because he hasn't been through black swan training um, intuitively, he knew it was the right thing to do. And I'm always intrigued by people who have that kind of, uh, gut feeling. Uh, second question was one note. Yes. If you could leave a note, it doesn't matter if it's a post-it note or if it's a, you know, handwritten letter, um, and you can mail it and it's going to hit everybody's desk in customer service or customer experience. And, and it's going to resonate with them. What would it say? Um, Stay curious, accept the fact that your job is a difficult one, meaning you're going to be engaged in difficult conversations eight, nine, 10 hours a day, every day. Understand that it's not about you. It's about the person calling in and then be ready to demonstrate that you get where they're coming from. They will work with you to resolve the issue, just don't be in a hurry to resolve it early because unexpressed, unaddressed emotions never die. Mm -hmm. And negative emotions impact their cognitive ability. They won't be able to process what the solution could be until you deal with the emotional aspect as they see it. The brain works up to 31% better in a positive state. So your goal is to get them in a positive state as quickly as possible. Mm. That's cool. Um, I appreciate those two things. Uh, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Uh, the best way, go to the website, blackswanltd.com. Um, and and you, can, you can contact me there. Uh, you can contact me via LinkedIn. Um, I, I pretty much... I probably answer or, or connect with probably 60, 70% of the people who ask for a connection. Um, so that's a great way to contact me. Um, and of course, um, I'd love for you to, to pick up the book, either the audio book or the actual book itself um, um, and show your support that way. Yeah. And, and just to echo what he said at the very end there, um, read this book. Um, it's going to blow your mind. It's going to, um, you know, if you focus on, it doesn't matter if you're customer service or customer experience or in the professional world or, or trying to be a, uh, a better person in general uh, to actively listen, have tactical empathy and use some of these tactics that he uses. Uh, it's going to make you a better person. Mm. Uh, so I would highly recommend that um, book again is ego authority and failure. It's Derek Gaunt, D E R E K Gaunt G A U N T. 
Uh, Derek, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Uh, I learned a ton and look forward to continuing to, to learn from you and, and hopefully to implement some of the stuff that I've, I've learned. Thank you for having me. Go forth and conquer. Hey, listeners, can you think of one person who would benefit from the information you learned today? If so, please consider sharing it with them by giving them a link of this episode or directly from your app. And last, if you'd like to receive all the quotes and book recommendations from all my guests, go to pressonefornick.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.